This week's episode of Trek Geeks is brought to you by Fansets, the place for amazing pin collectibles. They have close to 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins to choose from, with new pins coming out every month. See all the pins and collectibles they have to offer at fansets.com, and stay tuned for this week's special Trek Geeks discount code. Fansets. We are Star Trek. We are the board. And you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks Podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. You will listen. Resistance is futile. You must comply. From the Daystrom Institute Satellite Office at Podfleet Command, it's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant and the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings, one and all. Welcome to Trek Geeks. This is episode number 193. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith. It's so great to be here. We uh, we love talking about Star Trek, and we love having you join us. So thank you very much for taking time out of your day or your week to, uh, to spend an hour or so with us. We are greatly appreciative. And of course, by we... I do mean my illustrious co-host and I. Um, it's safe to say that his intelligence is pretty natural. And by that, I mean it's very much like the Pac-Leds. It's like one one deviation from, from Pac-Led, which means he's probably even dumber than that. He's the, <laughs> he's the very smart Dan Davidson, and he makes things go. Hey, buddy. Hi, buddy. I make things go. I want more. Uh, <laughs> you, you are smart. Because you said that, now I'm going to act this way the whole podcast. Uh-huh. So you're, you're going to act normally. Uh, here we go. I knew it was coming yeah. up. <laughs> no, it's good to be here, man. Uh, looking forward to the conversation. It's always good to sit down and talk uh, Star Trek with you uh, every week. And this week is going to be a, a conversation that when we first brought it up, I'm like, gosh, how's this one going to go? This is, you know, there's a lot to talk about, but is it really going to be something that's going to, you know, pique people's interest? And I can say that it's going to, based on what we have in this outline. I'm looking forward to it. Artificial intelligence in Star Trek. It's something that we need here on the show a lot more. It's just plain intelligence, but we'll talk about artificial intelligence. See, you should have just known that your producer on this show is pretty top-notch after almost five years, and and he can he can make the sunshine on a rainy day, is what I'm saying. You know what I mean? Anyway, it's great to be here. Uh, I, uh, Bill makes things go, obviously, as he's saying, because he is the producer, vice president, president, owner, CEO. Just go ahead, just keep adding the titles, baby, because you're. Worth I, it. I haven't done anything. You've done it for me, which there says I'm go. living rent free in your head. <laughs> um, Dan, the other thing that should be living rent free in your head after all this time is how people can get in touch with us. I mean, you would regale them with that information. I would be most appreciative. I'd be regaling 
right now. Uh, if you're looking <laughs> to get in touch with us, you can head on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact, and there you will find a cornucopia of ways to get in touch with Trek Geeks. You can send us uh, a voicemail. You can Skype chat us. You can fill out the contact form and type out a personalized message. Or you can just click on that big blue button on the right side of the website and leave us a message with your very own mellifluous tones using SpeakPipe. And don't forget, the place to be on Facebook these days is the official Trek Geeks Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. Bring your Trek talk, your Trek picks, and your Trek love over to the site and join over 15 other 1,500 other friends talk all things Trek. It is the place on social media where the Trek talk is positive with no bashing or gatekeeping allowed. Plus, if there are new announcements about the Trek Geeks podcast network, you're going to hear them first in Camp Kittimer before anyone else in the quadrant. To join the group, just head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and be ready to be part of a truly wonderful social experience. And as always, thank you to our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, Sarah, and Dan, for the amazing job they do running the camp. Also, please remember that comments or messages you leave may be used in future episodes because we like to make things go. We are smart. We are smart. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Dan, you know who else is smart? Um, that's uh, We'll be joined by a couple of our Patreon producers in this particular episode to have this sort of group discussion, this roundtable on artificial intelligence. And who's exactly going to be joining us today, my friend? We needed to bring in some real brain work for this uh, episode of Trek Geeks Build. We did. Just we you did. and I? Pfft, forget it. So, uh, yeah, we're very excited that Jamie Rogers and Ken Bird. Uh, will be joining us for this uh, discussion on artificial intelligence. Uh, we're very grateful that they're going to be joining us. We're very grateful that they are two producers uh, of the network and Patreon supporters. And we can't wait to have the talk because there's all kinds of artificial intelligence stuff to talk about in Star Trek. And I'm looking forward to it, buddy. That's a shame there's no intelligence here at this moment right now. You can say that again. Dan, it's time for the news from treknews.net. Just keep vamping. Wow, that was kind of different. Spanning the Alpha Quadrant. For all the news on all the Star Trek show. It's a very 90s version of the treknews.net news. Online at treknews.net. What in the hell was that? I don't know, but it was <laughs> I, I was feeling it, baby. You're, no, I think you're feeling the martinis. <laughs> well, Dan, first up, um, a couple of weeks ago, the Star Trek world was was rocked by some pretty saddening news. And there have been rumors circulating online for a couple of weeks now regarding the cause of death for Aaron Eisenberg, who passed away suddenly, unfortunately, on Saturday, September 21st. Now, of course, we mentioned at the time we didn't want to spread rumors or comment on anything that was not confirmed, but we may have as close to a confirmation as we're going to get at this time. Uh, yeah, man, this is still one of those I can't believe it's happened stories. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, as you mentioned, there's been plenty of conjecture as to how Aaron died. But we all know that he had health issues and has gone through two kidney transplants during his too short a life. Uh, but late last week, our friends over at the DS9 documentary sent out an email with a touching tribute to Aaron. And in that email, it was stated that he passed away as a result of complications from a heart attack. Now, whatever the cause was, we certainly uh, don't want to make that the issue 
of this sad story. Uh, the Star Trek family and universe has lost a great ambassador to the franchise, and we will continue, continue to send our thoughts and our prayers and our support to his wife, Melissa, and his children. Uh, and I got to say, man, her uh, hashtag daily Aaron posts on Twitter have been ripping my heart out every single day. Oh, I'm right there with you. It's uh, it's it's a very public grieving, and I mean, I understand, and I can't imagine how that must make her feel even worse at times because Aaron was loved by so many people. Um, uh, it's like you said. I mean, our our hearts continue to go out to her and Aaron's family, and uh, um, you know, all we can do is is remember the best, uh, which was pretty much every day Aaron was around. So, that um, that's there's not much. Uh, really, we can say about that, unfortunately, but uh, certainly we wish, wish Melissa all the best. Right. Continu- continuing along, Dan, and now we're going to take a leap to the, we are not surprised in the slightest department. Uh, someone is finding himself in some hot legal water yet again. You know, not surprised at all. I mean, <laughs> seriously, how stupid can you be? Uh, well, I guess when you're an egomaniac and you think you don't have to follow anyone's rules, I guess it shouldn't be surprising at all, man. Uh, so it was revealed earlier this week by our friend Carlos Pedraza over at Monitor that Alec Peters is once again not in good graces with CBS, not that he ever was. Uh, apparently, just days before Axonar Light was going to start filming, it, yeah, okay, uh, CBS Paramount lawyers reportedly told him that he and Axonar Productions have violated terms of the 2017 settlement of the infamous Star Trek copyright lawsuit. The report goes on to say that the violations include earning money publicly in Axonar's name, like the Super Chat donations on Axonar's YouTube live streams, as well as portraying Axonar as a, quote, independent Star Trek film, end quote. The report goes on to say that Loeb & Loeb, which is a law firm that represented CBS during the first suit, has demanded that Peters fully account for money he has raised under the umbrella of Axonar since 2017. Additionally, other possible violations of the settlement include using professional actors in his upcoming filming of whatever he's doing with Axonar these days. Uh, I guess that's a direct violation of the fan film guidelines, as well as Peters legally attesting that he is the copyright holder for Axonar, despite the settlements and the guidelines, uh, prohibitions of such claims. Very interesting. You know, there's other stuff that he's finding himself in hot water over, but you know, WTF man, this, you know, it's been three years. When is this guy ever going to learn? It's been literally almost a thousand days since the CBS settlement. Um, uh, just, it was actually on, uh, on Friday when filming started for Axonar Light or the scenes that they are filming in Georgia, it's been 983 days since the settlement because that occurred on Inauguration Day 2017. Wow. Yeah. Um, I, I'm i not surprised. It was a matter of time. Alec Peters claims that this is the eighth such, such letter he has received from CBS notifying him of the breach of the settlement. And I'm saying to myself, dude, then why do you keep on breaching the settlement? (laughs) If you know what you're doing is going to generate a letter, don't do it. But that leads me to believe that he just doesn't care, which kind of, in my opinion, um, describes the whole problem. Uh, His ego won't let him not do it. Right. Um, And his lack of, Total understanding for how the law works. Oh, wait, he's a lawyer, isn't he? Wait. Um, by training. Yeah, by training. okay. Yeah, well, you know what? I'm a pack lid by training, and I'm still smarter than he is. Anyway. 
<laughs> well, and as I said, this past weekend, they were filming scenes to be used in the two 15-minute Axanar shorts, Ooh. which is very different from the movie that he originally said he was going to make four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that he raised a million and a half dollars for and then spent all of the money. So he is now shooting stuff that he has yet to pay for because he says he has to raise money. Um, but uh, why make fans continue to pay um, when you've already raised money, where did it go, Alec? That's yeah. really the question. I guess one thing I have to say, and I'm sorry if I'm going to insult anybody, but it's stupid enough to continue to ask for money for this project over so many years. Anybody who's giving money is pretty stupid. I got to say, that's just insane. If you're going to waste money that way, just give it to me. <laughs> <laughs> you personally. Exactly. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he, it doesn't um, make any sense. He, he, he lives under the delusion that he's creating Star Trek. He's not. He's creating a fan film. Um, Star Trek is actually being created by people who work for Alex Kurtzman. Mm. And that's never going to be Alec Peters. Right. Um, I'm only sorry that, that we fell for it. I yeah. really am. Yep. Um, uh, of course, if these, the, these scenes that were filmed ever see the light of day, I'll watch it because I want to see, um, you know, what my $300 was pissed away on. Right. Um, but I, I doubt very highly that there will ever be a finished product personally. I'll, I'll, I'll guarantee you that in the next few days, we'll hear some kind of rumor that from, from whatever the hell he's calling his site now, that there's going to be some big news coming real soon. Cause we've heard that like every two weeks for the last three years. So whatever. A, a pre-announcement announcement. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Oh, well, Dan, Let's talk about some people who actually make Star Trek like and that. get paid to make Star Trek and don't take money from fans to do it. Hmm. Um, we've saved the best for last because this past weekend at New York Comic Con, fans got a whole bunch of information thrown at them at the various Star Trek universe paddles, uh, panels, paddles, whoa, Paddle. including a very important date for this coming January. We said it before. We said it during... Uh, either outtakes or something today, just a little while ago, because it's still fresh in my head. This is the best time in history to be a Star Trek fan. And this weekend is a perfect example of why it is the best time in history. Um, Make it so, my friend, because January 23rd, 2020, we will be sitting down to watch the premiere episode of Star Trek Picard on CBS All Access. That's like three months away, dude. Something... November, November, December. Four months away, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Sir Patrick Stewart was on hand to announce the date, as well as show the second trailer for the new series, and it blew us away. I'm talking old-style Romulan warbirds. Will and Deanna Riker. Data, action, drama. The trailer was just amazing, and I actually watched it um, for like the fifth time that day with my brother-in-law. He watched it and said, "The hair on my arms are li- the hair on my arms are literally standing straight up." He was very excited, and he's not a huge Star Trek fan, so very very cool. But that wasn't it, Bill. There's more. Uh, also, during the weekend, we were given our first trailer for Discovery Season 3 with Michael Burnham apparently being all alone for the better part of a year uh, before we all got to see a revamped futuristic United Federation of Planets flag. And we saw the rest of the queue, uh, the queue, the crew. We do not <laughs> have any type of confirmation that Q is in Season 3. The crew. Uh, 
all I can say it's it's going to be a very interesting season three. I've had my concerns about the end of season two, but seeing this trailer makes me excited for season three. But Bill, I'm not done. No, 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 no. We were also given the schedule for the Star Trek short treks, uh, and we will be getting one every month until Picard premieres in January. And um, even bigger surprise, the first short trek of the year entitled Q&A. Yeah, it's already out. They announced that it was out on Saturday, so you can go watch it right now on CBS All Access. Uh, and as a bonus to that, very exciting, we're going to be recording a new Discovering Trek this week to talk about that Q&A because we're not going to talk about it here on Trek Geeks. Uh-uh. Well, and right after that, we're going to have to record another Discovering Trek for the second of the short treks, which also comes out this week on October 10th, which is called The Trouble with Edward. It's messing so, up the schedule. I know, totally. And so that's that's two this week. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I've, somehow we're going to find a way to muddle through. Um, and the rest of the schedule is rounded out with uh, Ask Not on November 14th. Two dropped on December 12th. The Girl Who Made the Stars and uh, Ephraim and Dot. I'm not mm-hmm. sure if I'm saying that right. but And then January 9th, the last one, Children of Mars, mm-hmm. which allegedly I think is supposed to tie into Star Trek Picard. That's the rumor. Mm-hmm. That's the rumor, mister. Um, what a weekend. Uh, I watched those panels live streaming on Facebook, and I was riveted the entire time. Uh, it, it It's like you said, it's, it's the best time in history to be a Star Trek fan because we got so much of it coming out around us, dude. I've been very busy this weekend, so I haven't had a chance to look at a lot of things online. Was there any discussion about Lower Decks? Uh, no, actually, there wasn't. Okay. Just curious, because I know there was a, a, a banner of some kind that had a couple of the characters from Lower Decks uh, on Twitter uh, before the convention started this week. And so I was just curious, but that's okay, because we got so much to go through with what we saw already. I can't wait. I'm, I'm going to watch the Picard trailer. I'll be right back. <laughs> But Dan, as always, we want to thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring this week's episode of Trek Geeks. You know, after STLV, they've just been hard at work, man, getting ready for a whole new bunch of pins to hit the market. And we recently got a preview of some of those things are going to be available soon over at Fansets.com. I would like to actually correct you and say, I think we got a preview and a half, man, because those are some pretty awesome previews. Uh, Amazing looking pins. Uh, The previews from Fansets are nothing short of amazing. And they include, here we go. Here's just a few of them. The new Captain Janeway with coffee mug, Discovery Season 2 Burnham, Luther Sloan. That's right. I said it. Sloan. That's going to be on my list. Uh, Commander Nan from Discovery Season 2, the Mako logo from Enterprise, Travis Mayweather, Mako Major Hayes, and uh, Spock in his blue tunic from Discovery Season 2's finale, dude. That is pretty awesome. Am I forgetting anything? Oh, hell hell yeah, you are, Uh, because we have special details about additional pins coming soon from fan sets, and they include the uh, hooded Philippa Giorgio of Section 31 that you see in Discovery Season 2. We've got Locutus of Borg. Yes. Uh, Resistance is futile on that one. Uh, Dolan, the reptilian Zindi. That's my man. And number one from Season 2 of Star Trek Discovery, played by Rebecca Romaine, and... I know you're waiting for this one yourself, and oh, yeah. I, I can't wait to hear the quote. The one and only Wesley Crusher. 
We're from Starfleet. We don't lie. We don't lie about these pins. Now, dates on these ones are not available yet, but Trek Geeks is certainly going to let you know when they are, will be coming to fansets.com. Until such time as they do, and as always, as a special bonus to Trek Geeks listeners, if you want to get 15% off your entire order of fansets.com this week, simply enter the word Zora, that's Z-O-R-A, or Z-O-R-A, at checkout in all capital letters, uh, to get your 15% off. This bonus code is going to be available until Tuesday, October 15th, 2019 at midnight Eastern Daylight Time. I'm going to throw a curveball at you while we're doing this fanset spot. Oh, all right. We're doing a special episode on artificial intelligence and Star Trek this week, so let's have some fun. If you would like to win some pins from fansets, people, just take to Twitter and send Trek Geeks a tweet using the hashtag smarter than Dan and Bill. And we're going to randomly select one of those tweets to win some pins from fansets. And we'll have this going up for the next week. So you'll have until uh, Tuesday, October 15th uh, to send us that hashtag smarter than Dan and Bill. And you want to spell out the word and don't use the and sign. Um, That's going to be fun. I can't wait because there are so many people that are smarter than Bill and Dan. Uh Pretty much all of them. And uh, we're going to randomly select a winner from all the people who use that hashtag, if I'm not mistooken. You are not mistooken. Who, what are the pins we're going to give away, buddy? Because there's some good ones. Well, I'm glad you asked about that. Because yeah. in keeping with our AI theme this week, uh, we're going to give away uh, Arium from Star Trek Discovery, the ILEA probe from Star Trek The Motion Picture, Mirror Art Data from the, uh, the comics there mm-hmm. with the TNG Mirror, uh, Nomad from the original series, and... A Borg drone. All yeah. I'm very excited by that selection. They could all be yours if you use the hashtag smarter than Dan and Bill. Fansets. We are Star Trek, and we thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring this week's episode. Dan, we gather this week to consider kind of a grand topic in the Star Trek universe. We're going to talk about artificial intelligence. And that's something I've I've been hoping you'd suffer from for years because Lord knows you're your natural intelligence isn't all that great. I'm actually very excited to have this topic because Lord knows there's usually no intelligence on this podcast. So I'm welcoming it with open arms, my friend. It's it's great that you made the same joke I just did, except you made it about you too. And mine was funnier <laughs> than yours. So I, I'm always happy about that. Uh, so Dan, <laughs> we do, are fortunate enough to have two of our amazing Trek Geeks Network producers here with us. Yes. Why don't you tell us who has lowered themselves to join us? Absolutely. And I got to say, this is very, this is a very historic moment on the Trek Geeks podcast. This is the first time that we've had two producers on the show to talk about something. And uh, we're very, very uh, honored to welcome uh, one, Jamie Rob, uh, Jamie Rogers, joining us all the way from Rhode Island, So, which is just kind of down the street. But uh, Jamie, thanks for joining us and, and welcome to Trek Geeks. Thank you so much for your support. We really appreciate it. Nice. It's awesome to be here. And also, all the way out from some town in Germany that he told me the name of, and God knows I could not pronounce it. So <laughs> I'm just going to say welcome aboard, Ken Bird. Um, it's 2 in the morning as we record this in Germany right now. So that is dedication, my friend, for you to be up and awake talking with the Trek Geeks. Thanks for being here, buddy. No problem. They just closed the pub, so I had nowhere else to go. <laughs> Excellent. I, I feel the same way most times we record. It's uh, Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, because Dan makes me shrink. Um, we're so grateful to both of you guys for being uh, being a part of Trek Geeks through our Patreon. Um, I, I, before we get started, I want to hear a little bit about your fandoms and kind of how you cut your teeth. Ken, we'll start with you. Um, I imagine you probably grew up on the original series, perhaps, or did you enter the franchise another way? No, no. I, I'm eerily similar to you guys, and that's why I enjoy the podcast so much. Uh, I grew up uh, on the uh, Florida Gulf Coast around Pensacola, Florida. I had an older brother, uh, six years older than me, and there was no arguing with him. It, it was just a fact that when we got home from school, there was Gilligan's Island, there was Star Trek, and then there was MASH after the news. Oh, man. So that that's the way I got uh, – so that was mid-70s. I'm right in the same uh, wheelhouse with you, just a little bit behind you, you 50-year-old guys. <laughs> and uh, Wow. I'm still young and in my 40s. Uh, but, yeah, that – that was it. And then uh, just straight into the movies and, and uh, that's all she wrote. That's pretty fantastic uh, for a young pup like you. Speaking of young <laughs> pups, Jamie, um, how did you enter Star Trek fandom? Uh, what, what was the first show you remember watching with any regularity? It's pretty much the original series. Um, it actually started with um, my parents really weren't into Star Trek at all. Um, I was, I'm born in 84 um, but I had some friends of ours that were huge Star Trek fans. I mean, they did everything, collected everything, and they they were really the ones that kind of turned me and my brother onto it when I was about five or six. And uh, their first recommendation was the motion picture. So that was really my first foray into Star Trek. I saw the motion picture, was completely blown away by it. And my mom used to go uh, to the library and get me some of the original series videos. So some of the first episodes I saw, Corbinite, Corbinite Maneuver, you know, that was one of the first episodes nice. I remember seeing, you know, Arena, um, Shore Leave, Galileo 7. Those were like my four standbys wow. from the library. Um, used to love those four. And then, you know, really kind of migrated into Next Generation. Um, I, the first episode I ever saw was Future Imperfect. Um, that was the first episode I ever saw, li- you know, live, uh, basically first run syndication. And I remember was kind of funny. I I was drawing a, a picture. I wanted to do a picture of that bridge scene with, you know, I had like the Ferengi and the, you know, and data spot and all that stuff. And I remember at the time I liked Spock because he was in the motion picture. And, but I, but I really liked the next generation cast. So I remember on my picture, I put Star Trek, the next generation. And my brother was like, you can't put Star Trek, the next generation on there. Spock was, Spock was in the episode. So you got to erase the next generation part. You know, little did <laughs> little did we know unification would be coming out not too long after that. So that's that, pretty fantastic. But yeah, you know, so obviously I like next gen, and then you know I got into Deep Space Nine, and I, I would say my fandom kind of waned a little bit through Voyager and Enterprise. It kind of went down, um, but obviously we've seen a resurgence in the last few years. So that's kind of where I'm at. But I I, I definitely love Deep Space Nine too. But next gen's kind of my that was what I saw in first run and. That, that kind of has some, you know, the meaning in my heart. So you boys have seen your share of Star Trek and that's good. I mean, obviously it's something that kind of brings us all together. It's something that, that we, we feel connected by. And I, I'm going to start off this discussion tonight with a little bit of a story before we get into talking about artificial intelligence. So it's 1983 and I'm attending a lecture at Laconia High School in Laconia, New Hampshire. That's being presented by the Putnam Fund. Um, with Gene Roddenberry. And it was something I almost didn't get to attend. Like here he was in the town next door to mine at my rival high school, um, talking about the influence of Star Trek on society. 
you know, he brought the, the old gag reels, the blooper reels that he used to bring around all his, his lectures. And at the end, it was really kind of an amazing thing because it's probably only about a 500 seat auditorium and he's down by the stage after the show. And he is immediately surrounded by a bunch of teenagers. And I mean, like, you know, uh, middle school to early high school kids in the 1980s. And it was almost like being surrounded by, um, people with high aspirations. You could tell everybody there was a true Star Trek fan and that everybody really kind of was waiting to hear what Gene had to say to them. So I kind of, you know, summoned up the gumption to ask him a question. And I asked him, I said, you know, you've, you've created all these, these amazing things like, you know, phasers and communicators and transporters. Do you really think that someday in the future they'll exist? And he stopped and he looked up from signing something and he says, well, of course I do. Don't you? And that kind of made me think, you know, he said that, you know, my generation and the generations that follow would be the people who create these things and whether or not they started in Star Trek or not, they would become part of our everyday lives and they would make advances that were even, you know, more grand than we could have thought possible. And that kind of takes us to this discussion today. Technology is something that permeates our lives. I mean, we are using technology now to speak from four different geographic locations to talk about Star Trek, something that 15 years ago, 20 years ago, just wasn't possible through any other means other than using the telephone. So my first question to you all actually has to do with today's technology. And Jamie, we'll start with you. Um, do you have a favorite piece of real world intelligent technology that you rely on today or that you just really enjoy using? Uh, I definitely would say it would be my Apple products. <laughs> you know, I love, okay. my, I love my Apple iPhone and I actually just got recently, um, the, you know, the iPad pro, the newest one. And I, I love that thing. I, I take notes on it. I do all sorts of things, but it's just amazing to me, the things that it can do. So I, I would say probably my iPad. Okay. I can understand that. I've got one of those. I use it relentlessly. Dan, what about you, buddy? I would have to say, I, I agree with Jamie hundred percent, but it's amazing today. We talked about this recently. I don't remember if it was on discovering Trek or Trek geeks of the power that we hold in our hands with our smartphones these days. We are connected to everything we need to be connected to, to get information, to verify information, wherever wherever anybody asks a question, if nobody knows the answer, we'll say, oh, hold on a second. And we type for a few seconds and we got the answer instantaneously. 20 years ago, that didn't exist. We had, I remember growing up in, in elementary school, having to look through encyclopedias to get information, which was just <laughs> horrible because they were so boring. And so it was so difficult to find stuff. So the ability to do that all at the tip of your fingers on a phone, I don't look at it as we're just glued to our phones all the time and society suffers. If used correctly, it can be a huge plus to our lives. And I think it is. Ken, what about you? You probably got your nose buried there in your funk and wagnalls. Um, yeah. I was going to go to the library and do some research, but uh, I don't have to <laughs> anymore. Yay. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, one, that was an amazing story that you got to meet Gene Roddenberry that early, you know, uh, in your life, uh, that's just a cool story. Uh, but it, it reminds me that, uh, Trek is almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy now because I mean, you, you had, uh, all the innovations from people like Gene that he was telling you, your generation was going to do this, but now we've got another generation. You got people like Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, all inspired and taking it to another level. And then you got kids today that are growing up on discovery and God knows what they're going to come up with. But uh, I think the coolest things are like the uh, the voice activated things like Siri, Cortina, Alexa, because that is 
straight out of the original series when you talk to the computer. Computer, right? You know, do this, and now it does. So that's amazing. I have a Google Home in my in my living room, and I've programmed it to sound like John Legend um, <laughs> because they made that voice available. So now, when I ask it a question, John Legend is responding to me, and it's really kind of mind blowing. Um, theoretically, they could make any voice to respond to those computers. I keep crossing my fingers for Majel. Mm-hmm. I think that would be amazing. Yeah. But it takes us to the first section of what I want to talk about tonight, and that's computers in the Star Trek universe. I mean, Star Trek was designed to um, portray a futuristic um, society where you know technology was kind of at our disposal. And, and who knows, maybe sometimes the reverse was true too. As you guys consider some of the computers in Star Trek, which ones stand out to you, not only as an inspiration, but potentially as a model for the alien societies that used them? And buddy, we'll go to you first. Uh, no pressure. And uh, it can be any computer you want to. You know, you can take anything from the Enterprise computer all the way to, to V'ger. And I, that means any of the Enterprise computers. Um, which ones strike you as, as being you know, uh, inspirational or, or important to those particular societies. It's funny that you, that you say that because as I think about a lot of the artificial intelligence that we've seen in Star Trek throughout its course of history through 53 years, a lot of times this artificial intelligence ends up being a problem. Look at the M5. The M5 was a problem. Nomad was a huge problem. Uh, Landru, of course, is another one that's one of my favorites of what we got to see with artificial intelligence. A lot of them were problems. The only one that never really was was the Enterprise computers. And I'm going to focus specifically on the Enterprise computer for the next generation. That's the one that I really enjoyed. The one during the original series, while it was the first, it was very mechanical. It was it only responded in a specific way. With the Enterprise D, with Majel's voice and the way that it talked to the crew members, it's always something that I really appreciated. And it was inspiring to me to see where technology could possibly lead. Um, Deep Space Nine... Um, had the Cardassian computer, so it sounded a little bit different, and we all know that there could have been problems with Cardassian artificial intelligence. So with all the computers through all the series, I got to go with uh, TNG's uh, Majel voice computer, which, of course, she was the voice of all the computers, but that one held something special for me in terms of, of being inspiring. Ken, you're welcome to piggyback on Dan's comment if you want to, or you can make a selection of your own either way or do one of both. Well, I will, I will hop right on his back like a little piggy. And uh, <laughs> because actually when you threw the question out, I was sitting here thinking, oh, God, I haven't thought of what a good community of. They're all evil. <laughs> yes. So, you know, I, I started thinking, oh, the Enterprise computer. And then, bam, that's exactly where he went. And uh, I'm right along with him. Uh, the first one, you know, with the you know working, working, you know, it, was, it wasn't like a, a friendly, uh, normal one. And so, yeah, the, the next generation computer would be my selection as well. And then... Uh, when you get to what uh, Zora, a little bit later, you know, you even got giggles and stuff coming. So it's uh, right, definitely moving on. Can Can you do me a favor, Ken? Can you just say "working" a couple more times because that was pretty good. Working. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, what about you? Obviously, you know, you uh, next gen was your first run, uh, sort of, uh, you know, uh, Star Trek. Um, are you on board with the Enterprise computer, or is there another one you want to call out? No, definitely Enterprise D. I mean, to me. Like I said, I'm an Apple guy. I mean, it reminds me of what Siri was. You know, there there was a warmth and 
a connection to Majel Barrett's voice as the computer. It, it just, it definitely had an impact. And I liked how, you know, that computer was seemed to be very interactive with things like the holodeck. And it just, it, it, it just, to me, mirrored the image of what we're dealing with now when it comes to technology and, and how, you know, we can get our iPads to sync up with our Apple phones. To me, that, that enterprise D computer just, just did it all. I'm going to, I'm going to add one more thing to it. And it's probably because it's still so new. We've only been in two seasons of discovery, but I got to say the voice of discovery's computer, Julian Grossman, who does the voice work for the computer, she does a phenomenal job. And that's one that I would probably put as a one a, uh, for my inspiring computer, because it's just, it's so cool sounding and what it can do, even though it takes place before TOS is pretty damn impressive. No, I agree with that 100%. I love the Discovery Computer. I like the fact that it's a little bit TOS reminiscent, um, you know, in how it accentuates stuff, but isn't as conversational or verbose as, say, the TNG computer. Now, a couple of you guys also mentioned the evil aspect of computers. And it strikes me in a sense that Star Trek has cautionary tales with regard to falling prey to the reliance on technology. Dan, earlier you brought up uh, Landru, for example, yeah. or the M5. Um, and, and I guess here, here's a question for all three of you, and I'll probably chime in on this one later. Did those societies that were run by these computers fall prey to artificial intelligence because of their reliance? Or was it something else? Um, in fact, maybe I'll take this one first, um, and, I'll, and then I'll, I'll go around to you guys. I think that in the case of, and I'm going to use Landry specifically, I think that the, it was almost probably kind of like scope creep. They probably created these systems to benefit and alter lives. And what wound up was probably some degree of control through self-awareness, or through a small set of people deciding, well, we can just do this. I think that that society was probably poorly served by their reliance on technology. And I think that's probably one of the things that gives me pause as I sit here with my Samsung Galaxy watch on connected to my Samsung phone um, and using my GPS every day to check out traffic and asking John Legend for the weather in the morning. Um, uh, Jamie, we'll come back to you. Uh, what do you think? Do these societies, uh, did they rely too much on technology or um, was it something else, do you think? No, I, I definitely think they relied too much on technology. The example with Landrew, I mean, you know, Kirk did his little Kirk Fu, you know, <laughs> <laughs> mental Kung Fu with him. And, you know, we see what the society ended up with that, you know, they needed to be completely rehabilitated at the end of that episode. So, yeah, they were absolutely too reliant on that technology. And I think the same is true. You know, I look at my kids. If if I took away all the technology they have in front, there's no way they would survive in this world. So I, I definitely think in the example of Landrew, for sure, they, they were way too reliant on that technology. More importantly, would you survive if somebody took your technology away? <laughs> yeah, I could survive. I mean, I survived before when I was a kid. I could survive. I could. I, I, I had Atari. I could do it. You know what? That brings up a very interesting point. I'm going to interject real quick. We know what it's like to not have technology. How would the kids of today who have always had it and they're at restaurants with iPads at four and five years old, how would they do if they were thrown back into the 70s and wouldn't have the technology? 
Speaking of throwbacks to the seventies, Ken, <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Uh, did these societies was it because of their reliance on technology, or was it you know the the nefarious de- dealings of others? I think it was probably a little bit of each. I, I definitely think uh, you know once you get that crutch to lean on, you do forget how to uh, to do the basic things. And like Dan and and you were saying a minute ago, uh, these kids that have these kids today that have never had to deal with a Rand McNally road atlas or <laughs> going to a payphone or going to uh, a library to do a research paper. Yeah. It might be a little harder for them. You might have to leave a, a psychologist like they did uh, when they left the uh, Landrew. Uh, all I know is that if we ever get to the point uh, where AI becomes a problem for us, all we need is James T. Kirk to talk to it. Because <laughs> how many times did he just, blow the logic out of a, uh, of a machine. Speaking of people who blow the logic out of machines, Dan, <laughs> um, are you going to use some Dan foo on some computers? No, I don't, I don't think I really need to. I agree with everything that everybody has said when it comes to, um, examples like Landrew, but I'm going to throw a curveball. It kind of depended on the episode. Yeah. You have Landrew, you could have the Oracle from uh, for the world is hollow, and I have touched the sky. Oh, yeah, That's yeah, a very yeah. another good example of that. But one where it's completely opposite. They didn't really have um, technology, but were controlled by it. Was the leader uh, with the people who followed Val? Val was artificial intelligent, but they had no technology in their society. But they were controlled by this artificial intelligence, and I always found that very interesting. It's interesting. It's kind of an opposite of what we've seen in a lot of these other episodes, especially of TOS. Well, that's a great, great point, Dan. Jamie, go ahead. No, I was gonna say. I mean, obviously, you know, Val he he took so much priority in their life. He provided everything for them. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, he didn't provide them technology, but he provided the weather and all, all these other things that were important to these people and they became dependent on him, obviously. So, you know, technology and dependence on artificial intelligence can come in many different forms. Like we saw in right. that episode. Sure. Well, and let me throw another episode at you. I mean, people deride this episode, but it's actually one of my favorites and that's Spock's brain. You've got a society <laughs> that, Spock. that is dependent on a teacher Right. which beams the knowledge they need directly into their heads to perform various tasks. Um, and then when their society is on the verge of failure, what do they have to do? They have to go out and get an actual brain um, that can do computer-like computations mm. to run society. Um, I, I think Spock's brain is a beautiful cautionary tale on this very topic, um, despite its obvious camp. <laughs> yeah, Brain and brain, what is brain? What are you talking about, camp? That is serious stuff. it's it's almost it's almost like that society in spock's brain they lost the humanity that the technology was so advanced and so apparent that they lost that that the humanity they needed a brain interestingly they got a half human half falcon for the brain but (laughs) you know like i said they lost that humanity piece this uh this brings me to a random off the top of my head toss-up question and whomever wants to go first can go first um, what current day person, uh, whose brain would you use to fuel that society today? If it came down to it? Wow. I, I, we unfortunately passed away, but I think one of the ones I would choose is Stephen Hawking. Okay. That might uh, be one of my first choices, either that or Sheldon Cooper. 
<laughs> uh, excuse me, you're in my spot. <laughs> um, either Jamie or Ken, either of you have a thought on on who you might uh, re- replace Box Brain with today? That is a horrible question, Don. I'm just sitting here uh, trying to think, and and there's you're positive. Welcome. Yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot for the curveball. See, it's not all fun and games here on Trek Geek Boys. That's right. We talk about some serious, heady things. (laughs) Uh, I was going to say Stephen Hawking, but, you know, (laughs) Dan beat me to the punch again. You're welcome. It's (laughs) one of the few times Dan has ever done anything really well on this show. Don't get me started. Um, I I, I have to think about this. I think I would choose somebody like perhaps a Neil deGrasse Tyson. Um, I I think that he's probably fairly brilliant. Um, I Really, anybody other than me. Because I think I would grind that society to an absolute halt. Great decision. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, then I consider some of my other computers that that uh, I think have been pivotal in various Star Trek episodes. I think of a Nomad. You know, Nomad is is simple technology taken to the nth degree and and kind of perverted into something else. And along those lines, there's also V'ger. Um, yeah. V'ger is something that we sent out to, to explore the galaxy. And then it came back with a completely different purpose. And it makes me wonder about the evolution of technology. Um, it doesn't go too fast at times. Um, you know, what's interesting about, you know, you brought up V'ger. I mean, obviously it had gone where it went and got merged with all these different alien species and, you know, all this different technology. But yet, at its core, it was like a child. It was like yes. a youth and right. its experience. And and all it wanted, it had explored and learned all these things, this infinite mass of knowledge. But yet, at the end of the day, all it wanted to do was merge with its creator. You know, so all that technology where where it got it. You know, at the end. Let me pose this question to you guys, Bill. I'm going to interject and step in as yeah. you for a second. Where do you where do you um, where do you sit with the Borg aspect? Do you consider the technological part of the Borg as an artificial intelligence, or do you put it some other way? I know there's the you know the Borg Queen was you know she was half organic and half technology, but do you consider that an AI or something different? Well, if Jamie, let's go with you. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely thought of them as artificial intelligence until first contact. I think. First contact and Voyager kind of humanized the Borg a little bit, made them vulnerable. You know, you saw some of their weaknesses, you know. I think before that point, they just looked like this unstoppable foe that were smarter than everybody else and could assimilate everybody else. But then once first contact came into play, and like I said, to me, they lost that artificial intelligence look, I think, with first contact and Voyager, just in my opinion. Yeah, I definitely uh, thought about the Borg when – I found out the topic for tonight too. And, and like control, um, you know, the networking, you know, kind of made them, uh, an artificial intelligence, but like, like Jamie said, there, there's also the organic part of them that first contact really, uh, brought to light. And with V'ger, I always, you know, before I knew about Canon and, and all the novels and stuff like that, I always saw as a kid, I was like, well, wouldn't it be cool if V'ger somehow was responsible for the creation of the Borg? you know, while he was out there doing his thing. Isn't there a Shatner novel that uh, I was just going to say that. Okay. Yep. 
Go right yeah. ahead, then. Um, there is a Shatner. There's a novel that William Shatner uh, helped write, and I think it's one of the first ones called The Return, where you actually find out in the book. Of course, it's not official canon that Viger was Ness, was was Borg. Um, that's why that uh, they didn't do anything with um, Spock was about to be assimilated in the book, and the Borg stop because they feel that he's already been assimilated because of his mind meld with V'ger. So kind of an interesting point. I did not know that. Yeah. I have a hard time buying that um, because, you know, the Borg are all about adapting for their own use. And I, I have a hard time believing they take a piece of inferior technology, um, give it like a souped up uh, engine and say, go forth on your merry way, young space probe. No, I was thinking Um, the space probe actually created the Borg, you know, not uh, vice versa. But uh, I I really haven't read any of the novels up until like I started reading uh, Dayton Ward, David Mack, and uh, and Dave. Um, that so you know there's years and years I need to go back and research. Well, and and Vitra kind of gave us you know the Ilea probe, you know Kirk unit. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's Ooh. really the only impression I do. I, uh, that's really the only impression I do on the show. It's it's not a good one either. It's not uh, a good one. But kind of, you know, the, the the whole idea of Ilea takes us into probably the next group of of topics that I wanted to talk about, and that's androids. You, know, you want to talk about an artificial intelligence in the Star Trek universe, and Trek is replete through its various incarnations with um, artificial humanoid-type life forms. And um, as we sort of consider that aspect of it, uh, obviously with, you know, the elephant in the room being data and the Soong type androids, um, what other androids aside from data might stand out to you as, as really kind of pinnacles of, of artificial intelligence? And, and Ken, why don't we come right back to you? I hate to say it because as a child, I hated this character, but I mud. I was just full of androids. And, uh, and artificial intelligence as well. And, uh, and I really didn't, I really hated Harry Mudd up until Rain Wilson's version. And now when I go back and watch again, I can see where he picked some of the characteristics from the original Harry Mudd. And I'm like, well, he's not that bad. You know, he's, he's kind of lovable now. Yeah, a little bit. I, um, I can think of the Norman series and the, uh, all the other ones, but I mean, um, if we're talking I mud, we got to talk about Stella. Stella. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up. Stella. <laughs> it's amazing to think that, you know, we get to the version of Stella mud that we got in discovery to think that she turns into that sort of, uh, haranguing, you know, uh, browbeating wife that Harry creates a caricature of in android form and, in uh, in iMud, it's really kind of mind blowing. Jamie, what about you? Any other androids aside from the whole data line that kind of stand out to you as sort of like you know uh, something really impressive as far as artificial intelligence? I, I would say you know the original series episode, what little girls are made of. You know, I I would definitely say. I mean, they got that Kirk spot on. Obviously, you know, yeah. it was it, it was pretty interesting, and you know that concept of almost being able to live forever. You know, putting your soul, your essence, so to speak, in an android. You know, I thought that was a very interesting concept that they explored in that first season, you know, with that episode. Well, they went right back to it with I Mud because, you know, uh, Henry or Harry was trying to lure Uhura saying, you know, we we can put your, you know, your essence and your soul right back in here and you could you can be immortal. <laughs> 
Yeah, it's a big topic throughout the original series. It comes up several times. Uh, Dan, I saw you uh, shake your fist at the camera because uh, <laughs> I imagine you were finally Jamie trumped you on one. I think you were probably going to ruck. Fembots, baby. Fembots. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I was actually going to definitely talk about what our little girls made of. Everybody knows I love Ruck. I think the whole Andrea, Dr. Corby aspect of that episode just really shows the potential of what you can do with artificial intelligence, especially when you just take a slab of really bad looking plastic and spin it around a little bit and boom, you got a, a perfect duplicate. So for my backup one, since what are little girls made of has already been taken, I'm going to have to go with Raina Kopek from uh, Requiem from Yeah. Um, what he is able to do, Flint's work with um, the, the various versions of Raina to come up with the one that, that Kirk falls for is, is really amazing as well as the security that he has set up in, on his planet that uh, the, um, the weapons and the, and the, the sentry that he has, is, is really pretty cool. So the technology for artificial intelligence in that episode is one that's always stood out to me as well. I think that the thing that, at least in the original series, androids always seem to bring out to me was you know, the quest for eternal youth. Um, many of them are fountain of youth type stories without necessarily looking for a magical potion other than taking your consciousness and dumping it somewhere else so that it lives on forever. I mean, who wouldn't want a robot body? Um, although I don't know that I'd want to listen to Dan's voice in perpetuity forever. Um, too bad you will. Oh, geez. <laughs> That's rough. All Sorry. I can think of now is the schizoid man to know him is to love him. Is there to know go. him. Yeah. Very nice. Well um, done. Thank you. Thank you. It's one of the few uh, deep cut references I'll make tonight uh, only because I'm so terrible at it. Um, I have to think that they're probably sort of the Corby line of androids is the one that fascinates me the most. You know, Corby is, is driven by his, his obsession uh, clearly. Um, and, and doesn't even really bother to tell the woman he's supposed to marry. Hey, guess what? By the way, I should probably tell you, took my consciousness, put it in a robot <laughs> body. Uh, <laughs> it's, um, it, it's really, that guy really was not all there. Um, but you want to talk about badass androids, man. Ruck is, oh. Ruck is it. You know, Ted Cassidy just kills, no pun intended, as that <laughs> android. And Ruck is probably one of my favorite all-time examples of artificial intelligence in Resistance all of cancels out programming. I, I would say Sherry Jackson's probably the most beautiful android we've ever seen as well, <laughs> playing Andrew. Yeah, yeah. I absolutely Sherry Jackson, uh, that whole scene where she, you know, kisses Kirk and then slaps him is, is probably one of my favorite scenes in that whole episode. Speaking of slapping people, Ken, um, <laughs> I'm so I, glad they're here. I know it's just, I just, it, I love it up and then it comes down. Um, it, obviously, um, I'm going to guess you're probably a big rock fan. Um, what do you think happened to the Kirk Android or would have happened to the Kirk Android had he stayed around? <laughs> that is a good question. I just keep thinking of it. You rang. That's all I hear <laughs> going through my head right now. Um, but yeah, and and then and, and Corby, uh, you know, just saying Christine. Uh, but I, I I don't know that I haven't seen that one in such a long time. I'm actually uh, regretting that I didn't uh, preview that one this week. 
That's okay because, you know, I like to throw out these really oddball questions as they pop into my pea brain. Um, Dan will tell you that sometimes it's crazy. No, I was uh, thinking about the publicity photo of Kirk with the, the phallic shaped rock, you know, hiding around the corner. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought this was a discussion about artificial intelligence. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, you're offensive, Dan. There's a big uh, difference. Hey, here's here's something I got for you. This would be kind of cool, I think. If Ruck had stayed around and we got to see him in the next generation, the guy who played Mr. Home would have been perfect for that role. Oh, didn't he play Lurch in the Adams Family movie? Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Cool. That's pretty I good. I want a Ruck. Ruck. Uh. Sorry, <laughs> I hate you so much right now. Um, so let's let's talk about that elephant in the room. Let's talk about data and the Soong type androids. Clearly, data represented an evolution not only in in android technology, but in the way humans think of artificial intelligence in the future. You know, obviously we've had computers, they've got devices. I mean, they've got those pads that are everywhere all over the ship. They got a computer that can locate anybody at, at a moment's notice, kind of like you you can with uh, with your phone. But but data, you know, once he was declared a, an individual, um really kind of was the master of his own domain. And I, I think we're going to talk about data for just a little bit. And, and Jamie, I'm going to throw it to you first. Um, when you consider data and his journey, um, do you have any particular episodes that stand out to you as, as your favorites with regard to that character? Well, that's, <laughs> that's, that's quite a bit. Um, obviously, measure of a man when he got his you know ability to make his own decisions was mm -hmm. was very very powerful um but you know i i, I kind of like episodes like gambit you know where where data is put in yeah. the opportunity to be in command you know and I, this it was such a memorable scene between him and Worf. you know where Worf was kind of questioning his his orders in front of the crew and data pulled him aside into the uh, into the ready room and kind of you know kind of undressed him there in the uh, in the ready room and you know I, I to me that was such a growth seeing him go to that point he would have never gotten to that point from encounter at far point where he was questioning what snooping was and things like that. Um, I also really love the episode clues, you know where where data oh, yeah. you know ordered to obviously withhold valuable information to protect the crew. You know, I thought that was a very powerful one, you know, obviously redemption, you know, where he's in command again. I really love those ones where he's in command. Cause I just think it's, it adds a very interesting element, you know, uh, to him as well. The offspring, you know, one thing that I, I never could understand, I don't know, maybe I'll bounce this off you guys. How can lore and law say contractions, but data can't. To me, that was such an enigma in the next generation. Or you mean data cannot? Yeah. Cannot. <laughs> but you know, you know what else was interesting to me about data was the fact that I mean, there were some. If you really look at it, there there were times where he should have been deactivated because the times he took over the Enterprise, things got really scary, like in Brothers and Power Play, because he was so strong and so powerful that you know that was an element you had to consider too. Was the fact that I mean. When he went haywire, you know, things got scary. You know, it's interesting because I, I work from home typically one day a week. And and I was at home yesterday and, and there was a TNG marathon all season one on, on BBC America all day long. 
And we got to the episode um, with the Ferengi and the Takan Empire, and the name of it escapes me right now. I don't think it's the last outpost. It's a different one, but no, it is uh, last outpost. Okay, all right. It's, uh, wow, it was more on on point than I knew. And it's the episode where Data gets his finger stuck in the Chinese finger trap. And I think to myself, man, that character came so far in seven seasons because there's no way in season seven they would have pulled a gag like that, like they did in season one. Um, I appreciated Data's ability to be like a child at times, but clearly as he got deeper in and into the movies, he clearly was, he almost seemed like he, he supplanted Riker as sort of that secondary authority on the ship, at least in the movies. Um, Dan, I, I'm going to come to you on this because you strike me like an Android sometimes. I'd like to strike you like an Android in your face. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it's interesting that you just said that, Bill, because I really felt that Data as a character de-evolved or devolved in the movies. Interesting. And I think it has to be. I I I, I blame it on the whole emotion chip garbage in yeah. generations, especially. I think that it became kind of a punchline for the later movies, but. That being said, what I was going to talk about, um, and and Jamie brought it up a little bit, is the the episode that always uh, comes to my mind is in fact Brothers, because that's a perfect example that um, people rely so much on data uh, on the ship and rely on artificial intelligence and computers um, in the twenty fourth century, but it sure is easy to manipulate him. Uh, if you know what you're doing. And that's just one example of that happening in Brothers. And it's done quite well. And um, it's kind of scary what uh, what can happen if that code or coding can get into the wrong hands. And that's exactly what we see. It's just a, it's just a, a Trojan program that was embedded in his system when he was created. And boom, there we go. Now he's taken over a galaxy-class starship. And that's a little scary. Well, you both bring up a good point. I mean, should Data have had as much responsibility as he had knowing that he was a computer orchestrating another computer in the Enterprise? Right. Uh, Ken, what about you? Where do you come down on that particular aspect? We love Data, but should he have been the second officer on the Enterprise based on the fact that he was, I don't know, uh, prone to risk? Well, I don't know about that. Uh my favorite data episode was, uh, was oddly enough, Times Arrow, the, the two-farter. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, when uh, you know they found his head. Uh, as far as responsibility, I, I really think when Gene designed the, the, Kata, uh, the character of Data, he was just trying to basically do a Vulcan, but not have it a Vulcan this time. Right. So what's the next best thing? A robot. Yeah. And and one that was the complete opposite in that he was looking for emotions, whereas Spock was sort of exactly. denying them at every turn. Um, I love the scene between Spock and Data in Unification, um, part two, um, where where Data brings up, you know, you've pretty much turned away what your life, what I've I've sought for all of mine, sort of paraphrase. That is probably one of my favorite moments. But I have to say that my favorite uh, episode as far as data's growth in humanity is one that people largely can't stand. And that's the episode in theory where data has a girlfriend, <laughs> um, because we get to see him acclimate to some of these things. Um, uh, some of which are stereotypical, you know, not knowing whether to say the right thing. Wait, do I do what she doesn't want me to do because she said it's okay to do it? Or, you know, there's, he has to learn some of those human nuances, um, and idiosyncrasies that I always thought was, was pretty fascinating. Speaking of idiosyncrasies, Dan, 
Maybe there's something wrong with you. <laughs> I don't know how I knew you were going to say that. But I, I, I was afraid that you were going to say masks, and then I was just going to have to hang up. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of want to piggyback on that in theory, though, that, you know, yeah, the interesting part about that episode and I, the part that I absolutely loved is, you know, at the end of this whole experience, when he breaks up with this girl, it's basically like, I'm just going to delete this subroutine. And, and really, it kind of just brought it right back to, wait a second, this is artificial intelligence here, that he's just going to delete this subroutine and just move on with his life. And, and I love you. I, I love how they did that in the episode because, to me, it just brought it right back home. I'm going to say that's one of the times I really envied Data. I really did because uh, I, I'm sure that there's there's probably at least one occurrence in everybody's life where they wish they could have just dropped those feelings like on the floor and just walked away from him. Dan, you brought up a good point with his emotion chip. Um, it, it seemed like it, it was a crutch, at least in generations. Um, they touched on it a little bit in first contact, but then immediately disregarded it by saying, hey, Daddy, you know, maybe you should turn that thing off that you couldn't turn off in the last movie um, so that we can actually fight the Borg. And he just goes, all right, yeah, I'm done. Um, was the emotion chip a mistake? And, and Ken, I guess we'll start with you on that one. I don't think it was a mistake. I think it was a nice little novelty. Um, but yeah, it was a very, I think they did it and then they said, well, you know, we need a way to, to get rid of it because, you know, we, we got to kick ass now. And then, like you said, the little, uh, you know, shuffle of the head to the left and, and okay, we're done with this until we get to a comedy scene and then you can turn it back on. <laughs> very good point jamie um was the emotion chip a, a misstep or or was it something an aspect of data's character you you enjoyed i i mean i when it comes to generations i, I kind of love and hate that movie i i just think i think they went too far uh, a little <laughs> bit in generations you know they were trying so hard to because it was so slow paced to kind of put that comedy in there. And I just, you know, I, I think data's best comedy is when he's not trying to be funny. That's, that's, that's my personal opinion is, is he's the funniest when he's not trying to be, you know, because Brent Spiner is just such a phenomenal actor. Um, So when they were intentionally trying to make him funny, I felt it was a misstep. Well, there's something inherently comic in the attempt to understand humor as a being that has no emotion. Dan, you were going to say something. A perfect example of that is Starship Mine. When he's on the planet and he's listening to Hutch and coming up with all the different mannerisms and, and laughter and stuff. Great example um, of, of how he would be funny uh, in the show. And when it goes to the emotion chip, I think it was a great plot point in the television series when you talked about it i think it started in brothers and then descent it had a huge part of that two-parter mm-hmm. they should have stopped there because what they did in my opinion in the movie starting with generations was ridiculous i did not like the scenes where he was um telling jokes when he was working on a mission and and then uh, he like kind of freezes up and then later on where he's frozen with fear it just didn't work for me and i think that was a a bad plot point to generations was the emotion chip. So TV series, yes. Movies, no. Mr. Tricorder. Oh. oh. The oh. Has to go. I blocked that out. Stop it. <laughs> well, you know, as I think about this, you know, we talk about Soong-type androids. I mean, 
um, uh, Soong uh, w- was apparently fairly prolific. And for all of the androids he created, it seemed like, you know, there were a whole bunch that looked like data, but probably his most advanced one may have been Dr. Juliana Tainer. Yes. You know, data's mom, if you will, because she had pretty much everything. She could fool biofilters into thinking she was human. She had real emotions. As far as we know, she ate because she went through her whole life thinking she was human. So she probably sat down and ate every meal. Um, and, and it occurred to me that that Soong um, uh, probably was a guy with a whole lot of issues because he took the love of his life and dumped her into an android. Um, that kind of brings uh, us back to what you were t- saying earlier, the original yeah. series, where yeah. that was the concept that was kind of a running theme throughout the original series about that immortality and living forever. And it, they kind of, you know, I, it's the first time I've ever made that connection with that Juliana Tainer character. So that's an interesting thought there. So that's what I do. I bring things full circle. He might have found the equipment from what a little girl was made of on some of the some planet when he was sure. running from the crystalline entity. Who knows? How do we know he wasn't a disciple or a follower of, of Roger Corby's work and research? Because obviously that had to all still be out there. I hope, I hope Dayton Ward is listening to this because I smell a book coming. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, think, Dayton. I think Roger Corby's methods were a lot easier, though, just spinning it around the table. You seem <laughs> to get a lot more androids faster that way. All right. So tell the truth. How many of you watched that episode for the first time and you know, said on the second time, I'm going to see if I can figure out when that blob of plastic turns into Shatner. Oh yeah. <laughs> I do it every time. <laughs> you know, I think one of my favorite things uh, before Dan, before you give that thought is the outtake where Shatner and Sherry Jackson are standing on the Android machine, having a dance party. <laughs> um, but Dan, you were going to say, I was just going to say, I think you should mind your own business, Mr. Smith. I'm kind of sick of your half period interference here. <laughs> <laughs> By half read interference. Do you mean my Canadian half? Sure. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> uh, my mother was Canadian for, for anybody who's, who's curious about that comment. Um, it, it seems like Soong had a lot of false starts, if you will. So he creates Lore, who apparently was, was just way too good. Um, and so we, you know, he had to dial it back for the, the colonists and create data. At what point do you guys think he created before? And, and Dan, maybe we'll start with you. Uh, allegedly, Lore was first. Yeah. Where did did before come? Was he maybe a, a precursor to lore, or do you think he was somewhere in the middle, or what do you think? I think I've always I've always thought I've never really put much more thought into that. I've always just assumed he was after lore. Lore had lore was was really good, but he had issues, so he had to be disassembled. Um, and so he came up with before who had issues. Um, so then he tried again and came up with data. I've always thought he was the middle child. Ken, what do you think about that? I kind of like that Goldilocks equation there. You know, one was too smart, one was too dumb, and this one is just right. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I, actually, I'd always just assumed because of the name before that, that maybe he was the prototype, but, you know, because he was a little slow on the uptake, and then he dialed it up too much, and then, I don't know, but, uh, it, yeah, there, there's lots of uh, positronic androids scattered around. Uh, we, maybe we haven't even found them all yet. And, and that's really the thing. It seems like every time we turn around, we're finding another suing Android. Jamie, what do you think? Uh, you think before was before? I, I think before was before. That's my that's my opinion. I think because uh, he just there were so many things not right about before. <laughs> but I mean, we we see some progress at the end of uh, Nemesis. So 
You know, the thing that gets me is before kind of strikes me as the clone from Multiplicity that likes pizza. (laughs) (laughs) Nice reference. Awesome. I like pizza wharf. (laughs) Uh, I just I can't be left to my own devices here. Uh, Speaking of my own devices, um, we're going to talk a little bit about we're going to move from Androids on to photonic beings as we sort of look to bring this conversation into the shuttle bay for a little bit. Um, obviously we've had some standout, you know, artificial life forms and intelligence in that sense. Um, and uh, obviously, I mean, there's the EMH at Voyager, which, which everybody is aware of, but is there a particular holographic slash photonic character that, that stands out to you guys as, as just sort of exceptional artificial intelligence. And Jamie, we'll start with you. Well, I think you guys are going to like this one, but Vic Fontaine obviously was nice. Was I mean, to me, he took it to a different level because he had the EMH could do a lot of different things and had a lot of depth, but he really didn't have the human nature. You know, he didn't really have the whole package. He had to learn that. It seems like Vic Fontaine had that right from the rip. Where he just, you know, especially, you know, you think about when Nog was going through his post-traumatic stress, you know, how he was able to kind of be like that, almost like that bartender slash guidance counselor for him. You know, to me, Vic Fontaine was like the full the full package. Totally. Ken, what do you think? Is there a is there a, a photonic individual that uh that that really kind of stands out for you? Yes, but let me go back. I know you're going to hate me for a second, but this thought just yeah. occurred to me. Sure, go ahead. In the trailer for Picard, where we see the positronic android in the drawer, do you think maybe that's in Commander Maddox's lab? I think it's a possibility. Because he, um, he, he so wanted to rip him apart. I wonder if it's uh, perhaps just some sort of cold storage that Picard has... Uh, sort of on prem at uh, at Chateau Picard. <laughs> um, that's a possibility. What do you guys think, Dan? Well, it's obviously not data. Uh, it can't be data based on what happened to Nemesis. So I'm thinking it's before, and I'm thinking that you know the whole thing with before didn't work uh, after Nemesis with up uploading data's engrams to him, so that they kind of just put him in storage. I really don't think it's lore either. But I really don't think that, as strange as this may sound, even though it was part of the um, trailer, I don't think that that is going to have a huge part to the Picard story. Oh, I no. just feel that way for some reason. I think that, and and personally, I think the whole data thing that we saw at the end of the trailer is a hologram um, because he wouldn't call Picard captain because he retired as an admiral. Um, but we'll see. But I just, I think it's, it was probably B4, but it's not going to be a major part of the story. Yeah. No, I don't, I, I don't think so either. I just thought, well, maybe Maddox finally got his hands on an Android. He could, he could rip apart since before was not working out uh, that well. But uh, back to your question, I think Moriarty was the, uh, the photonic character that I, nice. that uh, I liked the best and, and uh, had the, I mean, he made it off the, uh, the holodeck. You know, what's interesting about Moriarty, too, is if you think about it, what made him so powerful was artificial intelligence. The mm-hmm. Enterprise D computer was able to make him as powerful and as smart as he was. So an AI, you know, creating this, 
you know, photonic entity. Well, and ultimately you have Jordy to thank for that because Jordy tells the computer to create an adversary worthy of defeating data and not home. But so the, it, it's the, almost kind of like a chicken and egg thing. But the Enterprise D had the capability of doing it though, right? If if, right. if it didn't have the capability of doing it, Jordy's command wouldn't matter. But it well, true, but it didn't do it on its own. Yeah, absolutely. That's my point. You know, it 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 had human prompting, so it, it almost kind of goes. Uh, it, it really kind of is a check, chicken and egg thing in, in a way. Speaking of chickens, <laughs> hey buddy, <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with Quark uh, Kira. That's my favorite holodeck. Character. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Obviously, um, I like the Doctor Moriarty. Uh, character. I think that it was really one of the strongest uh, of the holodeck characters that we saw. Besides Vic, I thought Vic was an excellent, excellent choice there, Jamie. But one that I think um, is important because not only did we only really see her in one episode, maybe one and a little bit more if you want to really get technical, but Minuet yeah. is is the strong characters in TNG because even though she was just a hologram, and even though Riker had only been in that program once, she had a profound um, – she, she was really important to Riker. And as we saw um, later on in Future Imperfect, she, he was married to her um, in that simulation. So I, I think that's a very important uh, holographic photonic being. I like the way you put that photonic being, uh, Bill. Very nicely done. Thank you. Thank you. I, I have rare moments of brilliance. And that is is probably among them, not to pat myself on the back too, too much. Uh, I was going to say Minuet. I was actually going to say the holographic representation of Leah Brahms that hits on Jordy in the holodeck. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, and I stop and think about it. It's like all of these holograms, um, at least on the Enterprise D, are essentially personifications of that computer. You know, because somebody says, hey, create this character. And the computer is deciding what that character says or does or accomplishes. And in the case of Moriarty, a little piece of the enterprise computer just gets to walk away in this little cube and thinks it's on a shuttlecraft. Um, so we go back to sort of uh, the, the enterprise computer and its importance in, in artificial intelligence, because here it is spawning all of these other beings that mean different things to different people. And that's really kind of fascinating. I um <clears throat> I want to interject with something else that happened earlier in the in the show tonight where yeah. I didn't something off the top of my head because it's so new in Discovery and that's in the Calypso short trek. Everybody knows that's my least favorite of the short treks, but the holographic representation of Zora that um uh oh what's his name not Kraft Kraft wasn't his name in the in the in the sh- yeah it was Kraft yeah it was Kraft the the holographic representation of Zora that he gets to dance with, I think is a very important one for that story. So that just popped into my head. Well, also from the, the recent trick, you've got a uh, control creating the hologram of uh, Admiral Patar, the Vulcan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, and that, you know, the artificial intelligence getting so real that, uh, mm-hmm. that it scares people to the point that they rip all the holograms out and then don't use that technology anymore. So, yes. I mean, and it's kind of like what's going on now with uh, uh, the deep fake stuff on uh, on YouTube, where where you're putting other people's faces on, you know, and, and and doing stuff like that. So, I mean, AI run amok. Well, it's almost like you're kind of in my head, and that's kind of how we're going to wrap this up. I am. Well, in you your can. Head. I know it's it's amazing and scary. 
um, because I'm in there every day and I know what it's like. <laughs> um, <laughs> as you consider things like where technology has gone today and things like deep fakes, which I was actually going to bring up, I mean, any technology that can make Dan Davidson sound like he knows what he's talking about has got to be a threat on some level. <laughs> um, I, I, do you think that do you think that we're going too far too fast? And do you think that we can actually utilize technology to have more of a Roddenberry type vision of the future? Or, or do you think that it, it it's just, it, it's out of reach? Jamie, we'll start with you. Well, I, I do think technology plays an important part in getting us to that Roddenberry future. But at the same time, I think we almost need to go simpler. I mean, we, we have enough food to feed the entire world in the United States, but yet people go to bed hungry. Kids go to bed hungry. So, mm-hmm. you know, technology is not going to solve those issues. You know, he, humans are going to solve those issues or a higher being or whatever you, whatever you believe. So, you know, in a lot of ways, technology is a great thing, but you know, it, it's often abused sometimes, you know, we, we have the ability sometimes to have advanced technology and, you know, companies, don't want to give us that right away. They want us to spend money because of greed to, they, they don't want to give us the best right away a lot of times. So it, it's a good thing, but it, it can be used for the wrong reasons as well. Ken, how about you, man? Um, are, are, can we get there? We can, but what it makes me think of is 53 years ago, these original writers, producers on the original series were thinking so far ahead I mean, yes, there's good and there's bad. And then out of all the uh, examples from the original series, I think the one that we might be closest to is the M5. You know, letting, uh, you know, AI make military decisions and intelligence gathering decisions. Um, and that's scary. Uh, you know, so we, we've we got to, you know, teeter back and forth and make sure we achieve a balance because, uh if we go one far, you know, one way too far, it, it could be a scary future. Or if we if we balance it right, it could be a great thing. Uh, and, it, and what gets me about the the original series, guys? I mean, like the M five episode, I think was originally pitched by a mathematician. It wasn't even a uh, a writer. You know, it was just somebody was like, "Hey, this could happen," and they were like, "Oh yeah, that's a cool story, bro." Dan, are we headed for a Roddenberry future, or is it going to be more like Terminator's Rise of the Machines? Well, that's what I was just going to bring up. It's 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 awesome to look at the future in this in this nice you know rainbow unicorn light. But I'm a little, I'm a little nervous to be honest because when we look at movies today, Terminator is a perfect example. You got Skynet and what happens. War Games way back in the early '80s with the Whopper computer and it decides to to uh, have a, a nuclear war with Russia. Um, a artificial intelligence is a great benefit to technology. But I think it all comes down to the humans. If the wrong humans are working on creating this artificial intelligence, then that could be bad. Um, I think we need to to not rush into things as much as technology can be helpful. I think it's also good to kind of take a step back and maybe use shows like Star Trek as a reference to what could happen if things are done wrong. Of course, when artificial intelligence starts to think on its own, then that's going to change everything. But it's it's something that is is a little frightening if you really want to sit down and think about it for a little while, at least in my opinion. You mean, yeah, well, you mean you want to use Star Trek as historical documents? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> on the one side, you get data, and then, you know that can really help. And the other way, you know, that's how you get Cylons. Do you want Cylons? 
<laughs> do you want toasters? Because that's how you get toasters, Dave. But, but I mean, even going back to that point about data is when data wanted to do something, when his mind was focused on something, I mean, it, it was scary what he became. You know, I mean, you think of, you know, quality of life where he obviously was trying to protect those exocomps. I mean, he, he was willing to sacrifice everybody else's life in the process. You know, it that's the thing with artificial intelligence. It can be so focused on one mission to accomplish whatever its programming is that it can be scary to put that kind of technology out there to run the world. That's the key to it, Jamie. And I think this is talked about in more than one episode of Star Trek. Artificial intelligence doesn't have the humanity. And I think that's a very important component to anything as we look towards artificial intelligence in the future. That's how Kirk well, got him to start smoking every time. Yep. You, know, he's, you don't have the soul. You don't have the, the emotion. And then all of a sudden the smoke starts bellowing out and they, they explode. Boom. Well, gentlemen, I don't know about you, but I, for one, welcome our forthcoming robot overlord. <laughs> um, you know, obviously, a topic like artificial intelligence in Star Trek is, is a subject that could bring on almost as many uh, conversations and discussions as Star Trek has itself in over 700 hours of television. And obviously, there's only so much we can talk about tonight. Um, and I think we've covered a wide range of things at sort of the 30,000 foot level. This may be a topic that we broach again on Trek Geeks in more targeted areas. But for now, I, I, I genuinely thank you both for, for being part of the show. Obviously, we are grateful to both of you for being producers on the network. And uh, we just we're so grateful you, you had the time to talk about this with us tonight. Um, uh, can people stalk you online anywhere or... Um, can people pose questions via Camp Kittimer? Jamie, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I spend more time on, on Instagram, <laughs> you know, Jamie Rogers okay. at Instagram.com. Um, but that's, that's, that's what I use most of the time. I have some of the other platforms, but I really don't check them too often. Ken, how many people, uh, get in touch with, uh, the, with your dulcet tones and, and the creator there? Well, I'm, I'm definitely in the camp. I have, uh, the, the usual, Twitters and, and, and everything else, but I, I really don't even remember what my handles are. Uh, so, <laughs> so yeah, catch me in the camp. It's been wonderful to see how you make the sausage. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's, that's a visual. Jeez. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, you're both great examples of, of why we do this uh, all the time. We're we're so grateful to everybody that supports us, not just through Patreon, but but through their their listening of the podcast. And uh, we we hope to have you both on again uh, in the future, despite your performance here tonight. <laughs> I would be honored to, for sure. Well, Dan, huge thanks to both Ken and Jamie for coming by to talk about uh, artificial intelligence in Star Trek. Um, it was a fun roundtable. I always like when I get to sit in the moderator chair and just fire questions off at you people and that you have no idea that are coming because I like throwing you off your balance a little bit. You did a fantastic job, man. It was uh, it was a perfect. It was perfectly flowing. It was it was just I, I'm I'm in awe. That, that you could actually do something like that. But it was fun. We had a great time. I uh, I want to give my thanks to Jamie and Ken. Ken stayed up late 
he's way over there in Europe and he, it's like two thirty, three o'clock in the morning right now. And uh, as we finish the recording, so kudos to you guys for joining us and we can't thank you enough for your support. And I'm looking forward to future discussions with some of our producers, Bill, because if this is any indication, we're going to have a good time. We are. In fact, Dan, we also have a good time when we get to listen to five-year mission and we are so grateful for all the music they let us use. They who have one of the newest podcasts here on the Trek Geeks podcast network. Oddly enough, Dan, did you know it's titled five-year mission? The podcast. Huh? I know they are smart. They are smart. They make things go and they make this podcast go. Um, So every other Monday you can get brand new five-year mission podcast in your ears, make your Monday suck a little less. And you can also head on out to fiveyearmission.net and get all their albums, get those CDs shipped to your house you know, put them on your, on your, your disc player or whatever, but get that physical media in your hands. And, uh, and we guarantee you'll love it. You'll become a big fan just as we have. So add their podcast, get their albums. Um, those are the two tasks for next week. Let us know how it goes. I like those tasks. Those are good tasks. You know, what was cool is seeing Riker in that Picard trailer. this week. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, and you know, what the fuck is going on here, Bill? I got a question for you. I mean, Riker is captain. Picard is an ambassador. Riker is still playing the trombone really badly, and he was actually kicked out of the band as a result. He also has a kid, and he was married to a hologram named Minuet. A hologram? Hologram named Minuet. This was on the episode that I watched recently. Really? Wait a second. Something just isn't right here. Maybe it's just a ruse, or maybe it's future imperfect. Oh, God. I... I I can't even. I said shut up as in stop talking. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking for you right now. Um I, it's a, I, I just I just read I just watch the episode and read the copy, man. Future uh, imperfect. Yeah. Yeah, but you, you write the copy and the episode. <laughs> what can I say? Uh I'm sorry to start with for almost five years of these things. Oh my god. And you haven't run out. Oh, I got a whole bunch just waiting to go. <laughs> Do you, do you really? Do you have like, uh, I I want you to get to a point where you have a whole year's worth stored up. I think that would be hilarious. In advance? Yeah. Oh, God, no. I write them every week. I don't have anything stored up. Uh-huh. Well, thanks for putting in some effort. Uh, <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, future imperfect. I know. It's, it's hard for me to say it again, too, because it's just so awesome. Oh, no. I said it just fine. It was hard for you to say it because you're not good with English. Um, <laughs> that's fiveyearmission.net. Please go get all their albums. Of course, don't forget, like Jamie and Ken, you can support the Trek Geeks Network of Podcasts by subscribing to bonus content via Patreon. You can get access to content you're just not going to get anywhere else. See the first of our annual supporters pins with the second one being unveiled very soon. And you can get raw, unedited audio of our podcast along with a whole bunch of other perks, Dan. Absolutely. And we want to take a moment to thank our associate producers of Trek Geeks. We are very grateful for their support. Adam Sanders, Brandon Everidge, Heather Sohn, John Krikorian, Rick Tatro, Trey Womack, Sean Lynn, Shane Murray, Tim Robertson, Tim Serdar, Vikram Bhatt, Greg Rozier, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Ron Robel, Brooke Horton, Christina Werther, Jim McMahon, and the gracious and wonderful Conrad Hutchins. Indeed. Indeed. We, we also want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are... Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, Charlie Mulvey, Chris Trebuzio, Craig Ewing, Eric Extreme, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Leonel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Mike Bovia, Harry Michelson, Patrick Escudero, 
Sean O'Halloran, Peter Craig, Ben Russett, Corey Stone, Ken Bird, Jamie Rogers. Hey, those two names sound familiar. David Hood and the lovely and talented Scott Vashon. You too can become a producer on the Trek Geeks Network. Head right on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks today. Next week, Dan, it's been a long road getting from there to here. So next week, we're going to deep dive into an episode of Star Trek Enterprise that really stands out. You just like to do that whenever you get a chance, don't you? I do. Yeah. Well, you know, anytime you have Jeffrey Combs guest starring in any episode of Star Trek, you know it's going to be a treat. And this one is no different, my friend. Next week, we're going to take a trip to Pajem and a truly grand entrance for an alien species that has long been a favorite of Trek fans. Yes, it's the return of the Andorians in a classic season one episode of Enterprise, The Andorian Incident. Dun, dun, dun. Next week on Trek Geeks, the flagship podcast of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. No, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> See what I did there? Yeah. Just, okay. <laughs> okay. Of course, we want everyone to check out the other member podcasts of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. In addition to us, and of course, Discovering Trek, which dropped a new episode recently for the Season 2 Wrap-Up Spectacular. You get Five-Year Mission, which is new every other Monday. You've got Politrex, which drops every couple of weeks. And then also, there's the introduction for Rewind, a Star Trek podcast with Haley and Sarah. And we've got some more special content coming your way very soon, so we hope you'll all um, subscribe wherever you get podcasts in your ear. And of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek CEO, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode 193 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Coconut. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Are you going to try this week or? It's quick. Coconut. Coconut. What? Coconut. <laughs> are you saying coconut? Yeah. Pow! Pow, pow! Bonk, Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast, is a production of Coconut Media Works, executive producer Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and DiscoveringTrek.com. Bing bong! Bing to the bong to the... Uh, 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 to, I said bing bong, bing bong, bing bong. Bing bong. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I almost expected you were gonna gonna just do an all-out rap, but you started turning into some sort of you know, uh, island song almost. It was yeah, I, I, bing bong, bing bong. That's where the fun is, bing bong. Is <laughs> that Flintstones? I forget what it is, but I remember it's just something from my childhood just flashed across. Do, do you remember, like, you know, in the Flintstones, they encountered this band that had like uh, these, well, these mop tops for, for yeah. want of a better word. And I don't remember the song they did, but all of a sudden I was having callbacks to that in my head. So that's, I, I got to look this up now. Um, Sneezing. I'm, <laughs> I was hoping you were going to unmute and say dying. <sighs> Sorry about that. <laughs> yes, I, I think I remember those mop toppy looking things and they like covered all of their face. Just their noses were sticking out. Yeah. Uh, the way out. Okay. The way out. That's the song. I, I just, lo- I just yep. looked them up. Yeah. Wow. Again, they look like they're wearing pizza boxes or discs or something. Yep.
Oh my goodness gracious. Maybe they have outer space. Uh could be. They had or like orange mop tops. I had forgotten about them entirely. I can't believe that just popped in my head like it did. Wow. So I I have some news for you. Yes. Um, if if memory serves, it was either last week or it might have been the last or the week before where we were talking about Michael Jackson and Shaman. And I was gonna find yeah. out why he said it like that. And I have an answer for you and all of our listeners. I'm sure our listeners have been waiting with bated breath to hear I'm, this. I'm sure that it's not just it wasn't just a way to say it wrong. He was actually um doing that as a tribute to someone by the name of Mavis Staples who used it in some live version of a song called I'll Take You There in 1975. Mavis Staples is a legendary singer. Um, she of the Staples singers. Uh, and I'll Take You There is probably one of their biggest songs. I'm sure if I hear it, I'll know it. But right now, I can't think of it. Um, she, she's a legendary voice. Uh, and um, I, I'm sure that now that I know it in that context, I can't really give a crap. Although it's Michael Jackson, so I'm still going to give a crap. <laughs> well, well, that's great thanks okay so so yeah it, what, it's not just for some weird reason like everybody usually thinks when it comes to him because of his weirdness but uh no there was an actual reason behind it wow yeah so there you go so that's your educational uh musicality stereotypical uh gravitational just stop instantational inspirational word of the day this is what we call our muppet show <laughs> <laughs> That's two things from our childhood. I was waiting for you to go muppetational. I was going to be like, I'm out. <laughs> that was good. I can't even talk. <laughs> anyway. Uh, how you hey, you, do you think maybe you could dispense some Star Trek knowledge? I have some says? tears coming out of my eyes right now. That was pretty funny. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, well. Star Trek uh, knowledge. What's that? I don't know. Boba Fett. Where? No? Okay. No. Uh, well, Boba Fett's not Star Wars, though. It is Star Wars, <laughs> Star Trek. Sorry. Wow. I'm going to have another sip of my martini because this is just too good. Uh, take, two, take two. They're small. No, I, they aren't actually. They're pretty large, actually. So, it's, dude, it's been, a, it's been a great weekend for Star Trek. We've talked recently about how it's a great – it's the best time in history to be a Star Trek fan. And it's weekends like this which prove it because we had a whole gaggle of information thrown our way. And we didn't expect a lot of it. And it was pretty oh. awesome. Oh, I was just talking about because they were filming scenes for Axonar. <laughs> oh, I'm muting now. And Dan is proceeding to choke. I wish you could see him. He's turning red. I think he's going to blue. He's about to faint. Oh, this is the best day ever. Um, no, I, I, I jest. I mean, they were wow. they were filming scenes. Hmm. And I'm using air quotes. Yeah. Um, they were filming scenes for that pile of of dog crap. Um, but, um, yeah, that, that might've been your, your, your highest moment on the Trek Geeks podcast right there. Thank that you. was Thank awesome. You. Very well done. Um, yeah, I'd still like to, uh, to maintain that, uh, your recording from the only airy studios that didn't raise a million and a half dollars and then waste it. That's true. I got that sitting right over there on my wall. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> That's funny. Very well done. Thank that, you. Thank that, you. That, thank you. Clap right there. Oh, Thank you very much. Thank Congratulations. You. Yeah. All right. Back to you, Brent. <laughs> Brent? Like Brent Musburger? Exactly. Nice. <laughs> I realized we were doing master's coverage here. That's fantastic. You are the master. Now, for those of you non-sports ball people, that's a golf reference. Yes, it is. Thank Golfing. You. Not mini golf either. Although I can no. 
putt into that clown's nose like you wouldn't believe. Okay. You're going to die, clown! <laughs> uh, happy Gilmore? There you go. I am not an Adam Sandler fan, despite the fact that he grew up just 15 minutes from here. There are two. Um, is I it's one of the most overrated people in entertainment, from in my opinion. I agree. There are two movies that we like to watch and are always kind of backups. Wedding Singer, we just love it more probably because it's the '80s genre. Um, Happy Gilmore is good because it's it's golf, but also for a good movie um, that has him in it, but a bunch of other people, and it really pulls me back to my days growing up at the camp. Grown Ups, it's really good. That's three movies. Well, that, that the, the Grown Ups is kind of a is kind of an offshoot. I meant Happy Gilmore and and uh, Wedding Singer is two movies that we really like that have Adam Sandler in it, but a third movie that he just happens to be in. It's not a movie of his because there's other big names in it is Grown Ups. The uh, the filming for Grown Ups 2 used to impact my commute to work when I worked in Maynard, Massachusetts, oh. um, because they were filming at the quarries in Westford. And um, uh, it would drive me crazy every single day I for, the, for the two weeks they were there. I didn't see it because I just, I don't watch Adam Sandler movies. Yeah. Um, but uh yeah, so I've got, I've got, you know, I'm triggered by grownups. So triggered, I'm triggered, I'm triggered. Oh. triggered. But no, seriously, great time to be a Star Trek fan. We had a Discovery trailer this week. We had a Picard trailer this week. We got the first of two brand new short treks this week because there's another one coming at the end of this week. I know. I'm triggered. Hot take. I'm triggered. hot take. <laughs> hot take. Yeah, it's a great yeah. time to be a Star Trek fan. It is, and it's a great time to be a friend of yours. You know why? Because you're just That's, you. Wow. Mm-hmm. What do you need? <laughs> sounds familiar. I know <laughs> people listening to Patreon are going to think this this shtick sounds very familiar, <laughs> and it does. Yeah. Well, that's all right. That's what we do. It is what we do. So you yeah. uh, you ready to do this there? Uh, yeah. Face? I'm looking forward to this conversation. I think it's going to be fun. All right. Let's do it. All right.